And a good morning on WPTF. I'm Scott Brigham and filling in for Mike Raley. This is the Weekend Gardener, and we are very happy to have our guest, Gerald Adams, along horticulture ex, uh, specialist expertise. And we got a lot to talk about today. We had violent storms go through. We have drought. We have uh, tomato issues. Uh, you name it. Uh, lots to talk about today. Gerald, good morning. How are you? Good morning. One of those issues is uh, no power. Yeah. I, I'm in Nightdale, and I woke up this morning. I went to bed with power, but I woke <laughs> up without power. And as I drove in, the entire stretch of 64 business all the way to the News River is no power. And I know for a fact that's at least two or three different lines. Yeah, uh, We were in the same boat yesterday afternoon around 530. I was enjoying uh, John Candy and Uncle <laughs> Buck, and all of a sudden there goes the power. And it flickered back on for a moment, and we thought we'd have it there. We thought we survived the initial... Uh, surge there, but unfortunately out, and big trees down uh, throughout Alamance County and parts of uh, Orange County as that rolled through. So a lot of people are out there uh, cleaning up, and uh, hopefully uh, their gardens survived and their landscape survives. That might be something we can talk about. You know, what kind of assessments do we do after storms go through with our yeah, plants? I, th- I think most part, at least what I've seen this morning coming in, I'd, I think we had some wind here yeah. uh, in eastern Wake County. But I, I think there was a lot worse coming through from Alamance to yeah. Durham. It, that when I, I've always watched the here lately because I spent all this past week watering plants <laughs> yeah. every every day. <laughs> so the chance of a storm, uh, we got a little rain Thursday night, and I was looking uh, at my phone and I saw the cloud come through NC State. I went yay. And it went in on a little southeast line, and it rained maybe enough in Nightdale to wash soap off your car if you've yeah. been washing. I mean, we didn't get any, hardly any at all. Yeah, we do need rain. When we get a rain like that, like we saw last night, I had some, <clears throat> I think it was, the rain was going sideways from time to time. I mean, how beneficial are rains like that when they come through so fast, so hard? Well, I mean, any any rain is better yeah. than, than nothing. Part of the problem when it gets dry and when we have this upper 90-degree weather and it just seems to bake this ground gets really hard you get a lot of runoff when it comes down that fast so you don't you may have gotten like we got a half inch on campus in reality it's probably more like getting two and a half tenths on there because how how quick it ran off but that was enough to save a day of watering yesterday (laughs) so I was I was happy to see it and any little bit is a a step in the right right direction yeah doesn't really look like we have too much to celebrate rain wise in the the forecast coming up though as we have another hot stretch much like last week and you know when we're talking about the heat and the damage it can do to our gardens and our our landscape uh, you know got to be prepared last week should prepare us for what we're dealing with uh, next week here yeah and you know we get spoiled the last couple of summers we've had above average rainfall yeah and there'd be a few times here and there was particularly in the vegetable garden where you had to get out and water but not that every day yeah. you know <laughs> part-time job kind of thing going on there so this year has been drier to start with and just seems like we've had hotter temperatures much earlier. You just don't think about 100 in yeah. early June uh, before. Oof. We've been there a couple of times already. So uh, that does put a lot more stress on the plants. And one of the few things you can do to relieve stress on plants is provide them with enough water. Are there certain plants or certain plants in our gardens, let's start out with our vegetable mm-hmm. gardens, that maybe need a little bit more uh, water and some less so we don't overwater and then don't uh... well in particular uh, size of plant and type of fruit you're producing is a lot to determine the water so obviously uh, tomatoes are the first thing that come to mind to me one I'm a, I'm a tomato fanatic yeah <laughs> uh, but it makes a really big plant uh, so all that vegetation requires more water and then hopefully it produces a lot of fruit and some of the varieties some pretty big fruit 
and that requires more water for them to be able to do that. So uh, it kind of goes down the line a lot from size. Uh, peppers get pretty big. They're going to need a lot of water. Eggplant, the plant gets pretty big. They'll yeah. need a lot of water. When you get down to some of like maybe peas and snap beans, they have a much shallower root system. They may not need as much water, but they still got to have, have some. 919-860-9783, 919-860-9783, WPTF Weekend Gardener, that is Gerald Adams, our horticulture specialist with us today. We're talking on tomatoes, we're talking stress on plants, we're talking drought, we're talking violent storms, uh, you name it. We can also talk some uh, beach plants, just found out. Uh, we have, uh, Gerald and I have a lot in common. Have some uh, property down at Emerald Isle that we need to keep an eye on. I want to talk a little bit later about beach plants because my dad always liked to keep it brown right. <laughs> at the beach. He liked the sea oats and he liked the natural landscape of the Emerald Isle dunes. But my sister and I and my wife maybe want to put a little bit more uh, color in there. So we'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, you mentioned uh, tomatoes. What should we be focusing on uh, right now? A lot of people are starting to pick maybe some of your smaller tomatoes. I know my sun golds are starting to uh, ripen a little bit, but still got a few weeks maybe on my others. But what should people be looking for right now? Well, uh, everybody's excited. Payday. Yeah. <laughs> Finally <laughs> hoping to get something out of it there. Uh, anytime, I mean, unfortunately in the triangle area, you live in maybe the tomato disease capital of the world. Hmm. Uh, so many of your tomato fungal diseases thrive in humidity and we have unfortunately (laughs) more humidity than we would like to have. So far this year, it has looked pretty good. Ironically, when we have wetter weather than normal, it just tends that you see more fungal diseases because A, that wet moisture along with our humidity is like the perfect breeding ground for those diseases. So at this point in the year compared maybe to the last two summers, I am not seeing as many issues as yeah. I have. So that's a good thing. I'm having to spend more time ordering, <laughs> yeah. but I'm not seeing uh, as many tomato uh, issues. But you know, now is the time most people's plants should be getting you know, approaching waist high, and, and some of them a lot bigger than yeah. that. Uh, so this is kind of the time of the year you start to see hornworms. Hmm. Uh, we used to call them the old tobacco worms. They can be the size of your finger, green, and have looks like this little red antenna that comes up on the back. Yeah. Uh, them little suckers can eat up a storm. So if you all of a sudden your plants look great and you notice – that leaf is only a stem now. And yesterday, I could have swore there was a leaf there. You need to search to plant good. And you really, they are the exact color as the leaves. So you have to look carefully. But one hornworm can do a tremendous amount of damage in 24 to 48 hours. Pretty easy to pick them off and throw them on the ground and step on them and get some satisfaction. (laughs) Uh, But rarely do you need to go to the trouble of spraying something to kill them. It's usually not that many of them. If you really look really, you know, sharply and up under the leaves around for them, but that if you see all of a sudden some foliage issues, that's clearly something is eating it. Yeah, that's almost always the reason, and you tend to see them on into the summer, not so much in the end of spring when you plant. So they impact the leaves all the way down to the fruit. They will eat everything but the stem. Wow. They generally speaking don't touch the fruit. Huh. But they will leave the stem on the leaves most of the time. But they will be, eat every bit of the leaf. Uh, tissue off of there, and I mean strip it right down. But will that will that impact the fruit eventually? Eventually, if you lose enough leaves on a plant, then you start to get into the photosynthesis issues, yeah. and basically, if you get into the complicated science of it, which I don't know completely, and I certainly wouldn't try to explain it, but right. usually you see a cluster of fruit on a tomato plant, 
it's the leaves immediately above that are providing nutrients all right. to that plant. So if all of a sudden all of those leaves are gone and your fruit hadn't developed, then you, you, you're going to have problems. That's Gerald Adams, horticultural specialist here on the Weekend Gardener, 919-860-9783, 919-860-WPTF. I'm Scott Brigham in for uh, Mike Raley taking a rare Saturday off heading down to uh, Charleston for uh, take part in a uh, wedding. So giving Mike a... Day off from all the respites of working in the landscape. Uh, when it comes to our tomatoes, do you advise cutting back some of the uh, leaves that do not produce fruit? Uh, I don't outside now. Uh, when I grow tomatoes inside a greenhouse, yeah. you basically grow them on a, a string. You cut it all back to just one vine that you run up a string. And because you, you have no side limbs, nothing else blooming, once you have a cluster and it moves up, then I remove the, the leaves below that because those leaves are never going to produce another blooming cluster. They're not going to provide any uh, nutrients to the fruit you have, and they're taking up water and nutrients that you're providing to the plant. Right. Outdoors, I only do that if it's disease leaves. Okay. So uh, septoria leaf spot is probably one of the most common uh, diseases we see in our area. Always starts at the bottom leaves and kind of works its way up the plant. So uh, because those fungal diseases, those leaves can form spores on them eventually, you want to remove them. Do That's just more disease that can move to the plants beside it or farther up and all that. So those leaves I take off, but I normally don't take healthy leaves off the outdoor plants. All right. Well, I've been taking just a few off because they just got so crowded. I just didn't see much sunlight right. getting in. Maybe right. I overcrowded my plants. I mean, how much room should we usually put between our... That's the $64,000 question. <laughs> Pitt, how good a job are you going to do of, of watering and fertilizing <laughs> and maintain them? Right. I mean, I, I generally speak and tell people uh, two foot apart. Uh, so I have planted many in my life that were probably 18 or 20 inches and planted yeah. them too close because I've, oh, I've got two more varieties. In <laughs> Squeeze them into the <laughs> spot right here. This is what I recommend to people. So you planted them for whatever reason. Now those four plants, those six plants in that rectangle looks like one giant plant. Yeah. Uh, don't go back so much as prune around them. Just take the bottom limb off so you open up a two-inch path, clear airway okay. at the bottom of the plant. Because if the air can get under the plant, it will dry it out just as well as air blowing in between the plant. Okay. So if you had them planted four foot apart, well, Lord, they would never grow together. But if you take – and that airflow is critical because that dries the plant out at night, and that plant staying wet at night, once again, our humidity, yep. you've created a lab for fungal diseases to form. All right, Gerald Adams, our guest here on the Weekend Gardener, 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-WPTF. We can go to the uh, phones right now and say good morning to Tom calling in from uh, was it Castalia. Castalia? Castalia? Good morning. Good morning, Tom. How are you? Welcome to the Weekend Gardener. Good morning. How are you, bud? Well, thank you. I'm doing okay. Uh, yourselves? Doing well. Doing good. Just waiting for the power to come back on. Other than that, oh boy. life is good. <laughs> yeah. well, you sound like you got the right guy to be talking today. Yeah, that's right. Great, great guest. What can we do for you? Uh, I was just going to give you a couple more tips on the tomato plants. You can, uh, tomato plants have almost a three to four foot root system. And I would say to mulch them at least inch and a half, maybe two okay. at the most. Uh, maybe you could put some of that uh, manure to it. You know, the, what do you call it? They spell it wrong. Cow. The black, black cow. cow. Black cow. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yep, and also there's shade cloth, and I would have advised that to, you know, 
Yeah, yeah. What <clears throat> what happens? A lot of people, you know, you've got to have six to eight hours of of sunlight for tomatoes to bloom and produce like you want to. But mm-hmm. many of us plant tomatoes somewhere that gets, you know, fifteen hours of yeah. sun a day. It <laughs> seems like. Uh, and I've, it's a good that you mentioned that because I had a friend of mine having that issue about five years ago, and I said, "Well, why don't you, you know?" He first took one of these humongous kind of uh, um, tents that you see on a deck that he could angle at like mm. 45 degrees yeah. so he could block part of the sun from really that 2, 2.30 to 4.35, hottest part of the day. Uh, and that went that worked so well for him, he put up poles and made a shade thing <laughs> that now puts him in, not heavy shade, but I think he's got a 70% cloth. What happens yeah. in our temperature the pollen drives up in the blooms before it can pollinate and fruit the plant. So sometimes there is a such thing as having too much sun okay. uh, on them. And if we have weather like we had this past week where you see 98, 99, 100 degrees, many of your varieties, the pollen just goes away to nothing before it can fruit. So being able to provide that little bit of a shade to them to take some of that stress off of them may end up with you getting more fruit. Yeah. And if you start seeing your leaves turning kind of white and losing their chloroform, uh, you're you're getting desiccated quickly, and you would have to do something very fast. Yep, sure would. Yep, yep. All right, Tom. I just wanted to mention that and hope everybody's growing their maters good and all, and y'all take care. All right, Tom, thanks for calling in. All right. All right. Have a great rest of the day, Tom. Calling in from uh, Castelli, I believe it is. Yeah, and that's down in um, Nash County, if I'm not mistaken. All I right. Went, I did went down there to the Fourth of July one time. They oh. have the largest, or used to have the largest Fourth of July fireworks shootout of anywhere in Nash mm. County. So <laughs> it's kind of an odd place to things. A good old country location down there. Yeah. We went down one year and took a look at that. Uh, his mention of mulching is something that is often overlooked. Mulching in the garden for your M- mulching in the garden in general, period, and especially with tomato plants because you you serve a number of, of things when you do that. One, you may help to choke down the weeds coming up by right. mulching, but most important of all, you help hold the moisture right. in the ground. So if you mulch good, when you water, it's going to take a little longer for it to evaporate out, give the chance uh, the plant a better opportunity to take up that water. So I always recommend uh, doing that there. Another thing that happens too, when I mentioned earlier about fungal diseases and spores, where those spores can travel on the air and they hit the soil and then a drop of water splashes and moves them up to another plant, sometimes mulching can slow down some of that transfer, uh, particularly from those fungal diseases that can form in the ground. So I, the next question that comes from that, well, what do I mulch them with? Yeah. <laughs> uh, and really, I use pine straw. Okay. Uh, I like pine straw because, one, it's very slow to break down. So you put pine straw on them when you plant them late April, early May. It's going to be there all the way through the fall. Uh, it takes a long time to break down, and it's easy to clean up. Yeah. You take a leaf rake, grab it all up when you get through, boom, you're done. But, I mean, you some people use uh, regular triple or double shredded like you use around your lawn. Some people use pine nuggets. I don't care as much for wheat straw because wheat straw, when you're watering the plants, tends to want to sprout out. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and <clears throat> not it that water un- too much. unsightly, but once again, it's, it sprouts out. So now it's taking up your water and yeah. nutrients 
uh, as well. But there are a wide range of things that you can use to mulch with. Well, I'm glad you brought that up because I have uh, two raised beds. One bed is kind of level. The other one is just a little up. But I tried um, using some mulch once, and I just I, I it got in the way of me uh, – you know, when I wanted to uh, you know, get the garden all turned up the next year. When <clears throat> and see, and that's where using the pine straw, mm-hmm. boom, you rake it right off. It's gone. It's right. easier than using triple or double shredded. Now, we run into that same issue with all the flower beds, annual beds in particular, mm-hmm. that we plant like at NC State. I mulch with pine fines, which is the little pieces of ground-up bark. There's not a piece bigger than maybe your little fingernail okay. in your hand. Uh, and it does the same thing. One, it helps to suppress weeds some. It helps to hold uh, the uh, moisture level in. And when we get through, we till it back into the right, ground. Okay. And so it's helping with aerating and helping the soil drain better okay, going good. forward. So that <laughs> works out. And you'll see it sold as soil conditioner, but you need to look at the bag because not all soil conditioner is 100% pine fines, or sometimes you'll see people refer to it as aged bark. Right. But the pine fines is really little bitty, little bitty pieces, uh, and it works great uh, to work back in your soil to improve your drainage for the next season or next year's crops. Yeah, because in my beds, the problems I usually do run across are weeds and right. keeping that moisture right. in there. And uh, the one time we did use pine straw, <clears throat> A little family of rabbits decided to yeah. burrow in there as well. So you got to keep an eye on things when that, you start. That's correct. That's correct. <laughs> All right. This is the Weekend Gardener. That is Gerald Adams, 919-860-9783. 919-860-WPTF. Scott Brigham in for the Mike Raley. We'll have uh, Rufus calling in, I believe, in the 9 o'clock hour, or the 10 o'clock hour as we wrap things up here on the weekend garden here looking ahead all right let's go ahead and take a break here we'll be back to take your calls talk about all things in the landscape on this saturday morning here on wptf let's get back to the wptf weekend gardener with mike ann and rufus and mike raley is off today as, uh, hey, Rufus is on television over there. Rufus isn't in the building, but he is on television, and he could be here around uh, 10 o'clock on the phone on this uh, Saturday morning. This is the Weekend Gardener on WPTF. Scott Brigham here, along with uh, Gerald Adams, ground maintenance supervisor at Centennial Campus over at NC State. Of course, used to oversee the grounds at the governor's mansion, so plenty of expertise here on this Saturday morning. If you'd like to call and ask any question when it comes to the landscape, the hot conditions, storms went through just the other night. I'm without power. Last check, Gerald was without power. So I guess we're in the right place right now. We've got light. We've got air conditioning. We've got drinks. Uh, nice and good. cool in here. Nice too. and cool in here. And uh, luckily today and tomorrow, uh, a little bit cooler than it has been this week. And that heat really has been impacting uh, our gardens, our landscape. And is there too much watering we can do when it gets this hot? Uh if you've planted in good draining soil, not likely okay, yeah. <laughs> that you can water too much. You do have to be careful, though, about time of day. Yeah. You don't want to go out right after 1 or 2 o'clock and drown the plant when it's 98 degrees because you can do damage uh, to the plant sometimes doing that. So I think earlier in the morning or a little bit later in the day when it, when it cools off or if it's something that you can water without getting the foliage wet is always a good idea. <clears throat> but it's difficult when it's ninety-seven or eight degrees yeah. to, to get too much to get too much water on it. Is there a better? Is it better to water in the morning or the evening? Uh, I like to water 
fairly early in the morning because then you've got the moisture there for the plant to take up throughout the day. Yeah. Uh, just take, for instance, a tomato plant. So, one, you can do damage if you take and wet that foliage at 8 o'clock at night and let the foliage sit wet overnight. And by do damage, I mean having that plant wet overnight and hmm. humidity, you increase the likelihood that fungal diseases will form. So it's not that it's physically going to hurt the plant, but you've created an environment for more possible diseases. But did you know that a tomato won't take up any water after dark? Hmm. So you've put that moisture there to sit that you could, you know, just you don't have the sun to evaporate it out, but it may drain farther down uh, into the soil. So really, that plant is taking up the water throughout the day. Uh, so at night, it's not really going to take up. When hmm. I when I grow them in the greenhouse, I have emitters like growing them in the greenhouse to produce fruit, and I have them run through all light in the day, and I don't have one run after about four thirty. I always in, heard in, that in the you, afternoon. I always heard you don't want to get the uh, you know the leaves wet because the sun might uh, damage them throughout the day. It's it's not so much that. That is possible if you went out there at 3 o'clock this past, what was it, Wednesday when it was 100 or 99 or just pick hairs. (laughs) Maybe it was 98 uh, on that. Yes, you can do some damage. You can scorch uh, the leaves uh, when you do that. So that is a concern more so when we've got this mid and upper 90 weather. And it depends a little bit on the plant. That varies a little bit on the plant. So, yes, that is a factor. But I think getting that water in earlier, you've got it there for the plant to take up all day and essentially reduce any potential stress. He is Gerald Adams, our guest today on the Weekend Gardener. Scott Brigham in for uh, Mike Raley, 919-860-9783. That's 919-860-WPTF. Scott in Winston-Salem is joining the Weekend Gardener. Scott, good morning. How are you? Hey, I'm fine, fellas. How you guys doing? Good. What can we do for you? Um, well, I've got a, a an issue, uh, and I'm hoping for some advice. Um, what I've done is created a garden this year. Uh, I love dealing with this North Carolina red clay, and so <laughs> I went and got uh, some manure, some horse manure. Uh, and I mean a lot of horse manure. Uh, we're talking maybe 20 tons of this stuff. Wow, uh, the, the that is area, that's the, a lot. That is a lot. <laughs> well, well, see, and there's the problem. Uh, the first place I went, you had to load it yourself, uh, and I forked a lot of manure in my day. Um, but but uh, twenty tons uh, now. Yeah. Well, I mean, we we went and got the uh, ten two ton trailer loads of it, um, but by and by that got kind of old and. So we found another place, and this all is on Craigslist. Uh, uh, somebody was uh, advertising free manure, and they would load it. Uh, and so uh, we immediately contacted these folks and, and asked them the question. And, and I'm not unfamiliar with uh, uh, gardening and stuff, but uh, the question is, did you have at any time graze on in your pastures or in your hay or in your whatever you feed these horses and the answer came back with an adamant no and yet uh i've got about half a garden that has killed about a hundred tomato plants uh, and beans and everything else of that nature and it's got graze on in it Um, and of course these barn managers either don't know or don't care and uh, they're trying to get rid of manure, and I've helped them out quite a bit. 
but I've now got a garden that is covered with grazon. Uh, at least half of it is, and that's the thing. So you can tell where I, you know, there there was a certain amount of it somewhere in that load or those loads that had it in, uh, but not all of it. And so this stuff is now in the garden. It's probably, and it was tilled in with a tractor tiller. So it's mm. probably, mm. I don't know, three or four inches deep into the soil because uh, it was six inches deep when we put it on. What can I do? And, um, and how long would this stuff last? Is there any more information on it? I keep telling or keep hearing that there's no half-life on this chemical. Uh, I've had one farmer tell me that you just need to make that a yard and go get your garden somewhere else. Uh, you know, so you tell me, guys, what yeah. do you think? Gerald, what do you think? Uh, I don't know. First first offhand, I have never, of all the hundreds and hundreds of things I have sprayed before, I have never used it in particular. Uh, I, I do know that in anything uh, that can do that kind of damage to plant material, it's, it's how long does it stay in the soil? Uh, and I'll, I'm going to do a little research here uh, on that. I know that, uh, generally speaking, the more water that you're able to flush through, uh, like, for instance, I've had situations where did something stupid and put the wrong fertilizer or put way too much of the fertilizer or whatever the case may be. Uh, right. One of my early uh let's just say whoopings from my father uh, plowing and fertilizing <laughs> tobacco was I, I had the thing set wrong uh, and put out uh, three times the fertilizer beside the plants with the tractor when I was plowing from what I was supposed to. Uh, and when I got to explain how that was wrong <laughs> in a manner in which you'd never forget, uh, we immediately set the irrigation up uh, in the field, and my father came back and we replowed it again trying to break up and spread out the fertilizer some but basically uh-huh. trying to dissolve it to flush it through the you know through the soil, soil as much as we could. Uh, I'm going to do a little uh, research here to see how long that stays in the soil. I, I just don't think that it stays there forever. I, I just don't I find that hard to believe. Even when we put out pre-emergence now, most of your pre-emergence, uh, depending from the half a dozen different choices you've got, will tell you from 60 to 100 days it stays right. stay, stays in the soil. Uh, so I, I've got to think that your chances next year are pretty good anyway. Uh, right. I don't know. You know, we've had, you know, in some in- instances you have people take and spread charcoal over. There are things that can bind to some chemicals. Uh, that help to neutralize them. I don't know if that works with gray zone or not, but I'm going to try at our next break to do a little looking on that. So keep listening to the show, and I may oh, yeah. have I may have a better response for you uh, a little later on. But I, I would be surprised uh, that it, if something that's a forever problem, of course, it's a pretty bad problem now when you thought you were going to have a, a good garden yeah. and you've got that. Uh, right. Go, go, go on, replaced, going on right there. I replaced the tomatoes with corn, which, of course, is the grass. Right. And and that does fine. I mean, right. It's doing okay. Uh, but I don't need that much corn. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this, and, is, this is tomato season. <laughs> I want, one of my tomatoes, damn it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs>
Yes, I, I can't say for that. Drink, I'd rather drink a cup full of Roundup than put an ounce of this stuff on the garden at all. Yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I wish there was some kind of test you could spray or, or put something in this, uh, you know, because it's going to be a, a problem from now on. Right, right. Uh, when you have a, 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 a child or a person or, you know, somebody with a horse that costs you $20,000. Right. Uh, they want to feed it the best hay, and the best hay usually has been sprayed with Right. And to take those weeds out. I get that part. And, uh, you know, barn managers uh, may not know because they may have been there for six years or six months. Right. And, and uh, you know, I'd, I'd rather deal with an owner than a manager because managers come and go and owners usually don't. <laughs> Which uh, begs back up to the question of why I tend to use chicken manure instead of horse. Not, well, I've got not, that not, not because of the problem that you have encountered. Uh, I have uh, just worked out a thing over the years with raised beds where I incorporate 10% chicken manure uh, into well, them. Much, huh? uh, yes, sir, I sure do. Mm-hmm. Now, over t- that's starting f- the brand-new beds. Just say you went out and built a new bed right now. That's kind of okay. the max to it, and, of course, it's got to be you know really completely dried out. Uh, right. Uh, at that, because any kind that's not, the nitrogen levels just goes through goes through the roof. Oh, yeah. Well, I had one of my uh, farmer buddies bring me a load of chicken manure, and uh, all my friends around here have become no friends. Uh huh. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, maybe that's not always a bad thing. That's right. If, if you, once that garden looks great, then you always have friends you've never mm-hmm. seen before come up and want to get to know you. Well, I'll keep listening to you guys if you can do some research that you know that I can't. Okay. Uh, do, but I again, I very disappointed i'm trying to figure out if i need to move that out of there but where do you put it when you move it yeah i mean you know I've, i'm surrounded by soybean fields and corn fields and i know they don't want that in there I mean, it's not like no. i can dump dump this stuff out anywhere but in a, a driveway or a grass uh, certainly a grass field uh, but you know there again i I'm off of horse manure now. Uh, I'm afraid the Craigslist people are just going to have to do something with themselves. And I'll go find me some chicken. Yeah, All, right. <laughs> All right, Scott, keep listening, and uh, we will come up with uh, the best of uh, knowledge we can get from Gerald Adams for you coming up uh, a little bit later on the show. So keep listening. Best of luck, and we'll try to help you out here. All right? Guys, we appreciate it. All right, Scott and Winston-Salem, thanks for calling. We'll get to uh, Rose in just a moment. One of the regulars here, Rose Rhodes on the triangle on the – here on WPTF on the weekend gardener and it's kind of a cautionary tale that we heard from Scott there when you're <clears throat> yeah and yeah and you just you know that ironically of all the farming I've done and grew up on a tobacco farm and we never had horses yeah <laughs> we had yeah. so that's not something that I had ever run in and generally speaking that's most of where you see it do with people producing hay and right. in particular producing hay for livestock and horses like that so but that is the tale of I mean. Every year, people put out triple shredded hard mulch, and the following season, they have weeds that they've never seen before in their yeah. life because the weed seed were in the mulch when they got it right uh, in the first place. So that 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 is uh, always a potential issue. It's one of the reasons every time after I put out triple shredded hardwood, we come put pre-emergence on okay. top of it. Right. Afterwards, they are trying to slow down that surprise factor yeah. <laughs> uh, from, from, from getting you there. Well, my neighbor has horses and chickens, and she's offering me, has offered me both in the past. I've refused, you know, the 
manure from both, but now that I've heard what you do, I'll go with the chicken. <laughs> yeah, I'll take the yeah. chicken and leave the horse where it is because there's a lot of horse manure out there. But that's is this something that folks need just to kind of is this common when you use horse manure? It's not that common. Okay, uh, one. Uh, not that many people are going to be getting 20 tons That's right. <laughs> of, of, of horse meat. It sounds yeah. like he's got a tremendous garden yeah. uh, there. So that's, you know, most people are getting what might would fit in the back of a pickup truck sure. uh, from there. So th- that, but you know, if you only had three raised beds and you had put that contaminated amendment in mm-hmm. there, it's just, just, it's you know, There's it's just a, as tragic to you as yeah, if you had so had. We can't do a little that, pH that test or anything I, I, out of all that. All so. right. Well, best of luck to uh, Scott, and we hope we can get him some information coming up shortly. Let's go back to the phones. Rose, Rose calling in here on the weekend gardener. Rose, good morning. Good morning. How are you? We're doing great. Gerald Adams here with us. He is, of course, grounds maintenance supervisor at Centennial Campus, and used to work on the grounds at the Governor's Mansion. Here to ask her as answer. All horticulture questions this morning. Now, how are we, Rose? Well, we're good. <laughs> Actually, I feel great. All right. What you got for us this morning? Well, I have something unusual on my hydrangea, and that is a sport, which, you know, a sport is a branch that doesn't look like the mother. A sport on my green hydrangea is green and golden yellow. Well, you need to make a. You need to root that. I already did. Okay. <laughs> so, what's the hydrangea that it's off of? It's just a regular uh, French hydrangea. Okay. Is it one? I mean, is it a old a variety that you have had for oh, a long I've had time? A quarter of that for years. Yeah. Okay. Because sometimes it's. Uh, you never know what was used in the crosses for some of these forty, fifty year old varieties. Uh, sometimes when, you know, like today in the last 10 years, lots of your stuff done with hydrangeas is to get more compact varieties, uh-huh. you know, to get an oak leaf that's not nine foot tall, but one that's three right. foot tall because the landscapes have gotten smaller. Lots have gotten smaller. People are needing smaller plants to, to fit in places. So that's where, particularly in shrubs and particularly in blooming shrubs, now the next thing is done is trying to change the color of the blooms and all that. Uh, used to, though, when you were looking back 40, 50, 75 years ago, often lots of the crossing was done to get a stronger plant or either to get uh, to change the type of bloom uh, on a plant. And every now and then, you just get a genetic freak rose. Uh, and, and it could be that this was not something that was part of the cross on it. I mean, uh, and uh, you, you may have something fabulous, or you may end up growing out a plant that won't never bloom, or won't the bloom won't look nothing like what you had before. Uh, people always love variegated colors. Yeah, if it didn't uh, bloom, it would still be beautiful. Yes, because there there are lots of times that's one of the things people are doing when they're trying to cross stuff is to get variegation. Uh, I have a tomato I'm growing this year for the second uh, year called Blues Bling, and it has white variegation in the leaves on it. Well, I know that's good. Uh, uh, and it's uh, pretty uh, pretty looking before it had fruit. Of course, to me, it looks a lot better now that I see some fruit yeah. coming <laughs> on it. But right. when people first see the plant, they're like, Gerald, what's wrong with your plant? And I said, ain't that a pretty tomato plant? He says, well, it is kind of pretty, but I've never seen one with white in the leaves on there that was supposed to have white in the leaves yeah. <laughs> on there. So that's what I would do uh, is just take it out and see what you've got because – off the top of my hand, I have grown 
a couple of variegated hydrangeas that had a little bit of yellow uh, uh-huh. in the in the leaf, but it's not very common. Yeah, well, uh, this is really a beautiful golden yellow. Okay, is the, is the leaf solid yellow with no green? No, it's variegated. Yeah, it's got a little it's some of both in there, so that does sound very pretty. I, so. I, I, I got two cuttings. I, I mean, three cuttings. So I've had those uh, in pots. Uh, so when you grow one of those out, the key is going to be when does the whole plant stay like that? Right. Uh, as you grow them out for, do you see some reverting back to the green? Uh, yeah, that uh, happens you know. on some shrubs that we have. That's right. You know, I know that uh, one of the privets that's variegated that's is, 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 <laughs> is back and being green, and uh, that kind of defeats the whole point. Uh, Where I live, the privets are, are uh, weeds. Right, I they understand that. The edge of our field. Well, I, I didn't want to hurt nobody's feelings by calling <laughs> that out, but yes, you're you're very true there. <laughs> and you know, they used to use that as a hedge. Right, and so right. That's why they've gone wild. But anyway, I just wanted to tell you about my find. Well, that sounds promising, Rose. Let us stay in touch and let us know. Okay. What's, might have some people wanting to try to get a cutting off your cutting. That's well, right. Share. All right, Rose, anything else this morning for you? That's it. I just left to hear y'all. All right, Rose Rhodes, thanks for calling and have a great rest of your day. Stay Thank cool. You. Bye. All right. Uh, we are. This is the Weekend Gardener, 919-860-9783-860. WPTF, Scott Brigham with Gerald Adams. Mike Raley on a rare vacation today. Down at the uh, South Carolina coast. Uh, my wife has always wanted to deal with hydrangeas, but she's always been hesitant. Is, uh, is there a good reason why she should be hesitant? Is there a lot of work with hydrangeas? or <clears throat> It's finding the right place right. Uh, for them. There, there are some exceptions, but most hydrangeas like to get a little protection from the hot afternoon uh, sun. Right. Uh, you, your oak leaves can take uh, a little more sun. Some of your lace caps uh, can take... Um, you know, can take more sun, but generally speaking, I mean the the hydra from Greek is means water. Of course. <laughs> uh, so usually their water needs are higher. I often tend to put them places where either it's next to the lawn that already has some irrigation, yeah, uh, that can keep them watered, or it's not that big a deal to have to hit them like this past week would have yeah. been a prime example. <laughs> uh, they really can stress, and I'm not talking about one you planted this year, one that's been in the ground five years. Yeah. A week like we had this past week with upper 90s and no rain uh, up until the end of the week, they really can stress out. And and this is what happens with the stress. It's not that that stress uh, may necessarily kill or harm the plant. It messes up the blooms. Yeah. Uh, so the, it'll cause, if it's already formed the blooms, they will dry up, not look as pretty as long. Or if it's in the process of forming a bloom, you may curtail and have a smaller bloom or whatever the case that may be. So uh, that's often what people don't understand when you know, when I say you need to water them to take the stress off of yeah. them. As with a tomato, it can keep the fruit from developing. Uh, with the hydrangea, it can keep the bloom from developing or make it have a much shorter life than it would have had. Yeah, she was always concerned about the, the color. She always wanted that blue well, you, that's that's easy to do. Yeah. All you have to do is keep a putting. A, you have to make the soil more acidic, and you keep sprinkling aluminum sulfate around it, and you will make it. I can take a pink one and move it to blue. Oh, if you can hold it at perfectly neutral, some of them will be purple. Okay. But you can't hold them at perfectly no. 7.0, <laughs> perfectly neutral. They want to go one way or another. Now, uh, here and uh, you know, we we tend to see. Um, naturally be more pink yeah. uh, sometimes uh, than blue. But it just depends on the part of the state. 
that you're in on the soil. But if you want it to move uh, uh, a mop head hydrangea to pink, you add lime to make the soil more alkaline. It'll move to pink. If you want it to go to blue, it is pink. Then you add aluminum sulfates, usually comes to mind, which will make the soil more acidic, and it will move that color to blue. Now, people have to understand you can't go out there and, and spread some today and next week expect it to be blue. There's a process <laughs> it is. For, for that to happen on there. Yeah, my wife, we drive by houses, and everyone that we drive by that does have a nice hydrangea, they seem to have the perfect place for it, and we just uh-huh. can't seem to find one because we just get a lot of sun right. where we are. We don't have a lot of trees cover and the one tree that we do have that would cover it we want to get rid of it because it's a crepe myrtle I, that's just... I, I might <laughs> would look at the limelight series now this is what's funny when the original limelight came out it's supposed to be a four foot shrub it's yeah. about 10 foot yeah. so they came out with a little limelight yeah. which is supposed to be a four foot shrub it gets about six foot okay they have one now called bobo which right. is essentially baby limelight which is a beautiful long paniculata bloom cone shape kind of a lime green, white, you know, depending yeah. on the time of the year. And it actually stays not too far from three foot. But I've seen them growing in heavy sun yeah. and seem to be doing just fine. All right, because we don't vary. Like that sun, once it comes up, it stays up you until about 8 o'clock at night. Well, these days, 9 o'clock at night. All right, he is Gerald Adams with us here, horticulture specialist, grounds maintenance supervisor at Centennial Campus at NC State. Of course, he's in charge of the grounds at the – Governor's Mansion for a long uh, period of time as well. Plenty to talk about here on the Weekend Gardener. Mike Rayleigh off today. Scott Brigham filling in. And, of course, uh, next hour we will check uh, catch up with folks at the uh, Farmer's Market. And, of course, uh, they're always busy selling the North Carolina-grown goods under the uh, farmer's sheds. And so far, do you think it's been a good growing season? Uh, it is so far. I mean, you know, I, I've, you know, growing up on a tobacco farm in eastern Wake County, I can't tell you how many times I've heard my father say, you know, dry weather will scare you to death, wet weather will ruin you. Yeah. You can do something about the dry. You, you can irrigate or water uh, to help the plant. You can't do anything if you have too much water. Right. Uh, so that is, I've always liked uh, when I'm just vegetable gardening. Yeah. Not too good this week because we had to water all the annual flowers a lot more than we normally would. Yeah. Uh, but you, you tend to see less tomato diseases in the drier right. weather than if we have above average rainfall. So for me, that's a plus yeah. <laughs> uh, with the dry weather. But that kind of gets old after a while, uh, too. So uh, people just need to know that you know if you're planting stuff in your yard planted it this spring or planted it last fall, you've got to get through that first summer. Yeah. And if that first summer, if this past two weeks are indicative Oof. of how this summer is going to be, you know, you've got to protect that investment and you're going to have to get out there and water it some. Yeah. If you're going to grow a vegetable garden, it's not a go plant it and come back in yeah. two months and let's pick some fruit. <laughs> uh, you know, there is a certain amount of commitment you're going to have to make yeah. uh, to, to get results. Yeah, we can leave that for the guys in the lab. Right. Leave it there right. for two weeks and come back and see what happens. That's right. All right. Here on the weekend, Gardner. And, you know, it is getting to that point where we're not in a drought yet, but, you know, watering could be something that you have to maintain a little bit later on this summer. you got to be careful with your watering because we may get to a point where uh, water is sanctioned like it is on the West Coast because right, you see right. people having to. Well, I still remember back in uh, when I first started at the governor's mansion somewhere, second year for maybe it was 05, yeah. we had water restrictions here in Wake County. Uh, through the city of Raleigh, you could only use uh irrigation three days a week depending on whether your address yeah. was even or odd that's so right that's, you know i remember it clearly because 
uh, we were not allowed to use any irrigation then, and I had to put all these 250-gallon containers around the mansion to catch yeah. rainwater, and we could only use that to water essentially a five-acre city block. Wow. So. Well, we're not there yet, but it has been uh, dry. And, with and hopefully these, that won't be the case. I hope not, but we do have some another uh, really hot, humid conditions that coming up next week with no real rain in the forecast. And the rain we did get uh, yesterday <laughs> didn't last very long. It came down a lot in, in a, a short hurry. period of time, so didn't really get a chance to soak in. All right, the latest from CBS News coming up in just a moment here on WPTF. We'll check in at the Farmer's Market in just a few moments. This is the Weekend Gardener. Scott Brigham in for Mike Raley. Hope you're enjoying your Saturday.